After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. As I was walking down a dark and lonely street, a car came along and pulled up by my side And inside was a rabbi with a long white beard He said, son, I'm gonna take you for a ride Why don't we go up to Jerusalem? Oh, up to Jerusalem, yeah, up to Jerusalem with me, yeah.
said, hey now, look around, what do you see? Now when you had your fill of that craziness, why don't you hop a plane?
spalom Gandalino Uvezolo Toi chemunei Am segudnava Boi Boi vesholoi Boi vesholoi
J.M. in the A.M. Morning and welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, on the NSN app, which makes it so easy to listen from anywhere. Uh, our weekly update coming up uh, just about an hour and uh, 15 minutes from now. Malcolm Holmline will join us. A lot of anxious listeners are anxiously awaiting what he has to say regarding the situation in Israel, which at the minimum could be described as anxious. Um, we're waking up to the news here that a 16-year-old yeshiva student was likely injured in Yerushalayim, that a police officer has been stabbed in Kiryat Arba in a weapon-snatching attempt. And these are just the latest, of course, in uh, a series of episodes that have gone on over the last few days which seem to be never-ending. The news alerts <coughs> seem to be coming fast and furious from Israel. We'll discuss all of this and uh, try to put everything in perspective uh, coming up a little later on here at JM in the AM. It's Friday on this October 9th. You heard uh, Amram Adar with Bowie Kala. Ohad had the brand-new title track, Segula, Benny Friedman with MS, up to Jerusalem. These days, I find it important to open up the show with a Jerusalem selection. That's Gershon Verobo off of the Yes Legacy and Regesh with Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. 9th of October to 26th of Tishrei, the brand new year is 5776, Tavshinai and Vav. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Bracious. Speaking of new beginnings, speaking of getting things started again. Speaking of a fresh start, and uh, we get to the point of a fresh start, of a new beginning, and it seems that a lot of things are just the same. The enemy wants to destroy the Jewish people. In this case, I think the enemy wants to destroy the Jewish people and then continue and destroy all of Western civilization, frankly. But always, it seems, the Jewish people are first. In this generation, there's a new enemy that is rising up and has risen up with uh, broadcasted intentions to destroy the Jewish people. Yet, uh, it seems that some leadership in the Jewish world is hesitant either to admit it or to confront it or to act on it. We'll see what happens. J.M. in the A.M. with uh, Erev Shabbos Parshas Bracious will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan Tuesday and Wednesday, Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan will be Tuesday and Wednesday. That means it starts on Monday night. Yeah, we'll be laning all next week practically. And there'll be Torah reading Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Candle lighting time at 6.05 on this Erev Shabbos. Getting earlier and earlier. Again, 6.05 is a candle lighting time. 62 degrees outside with 93% humidity. Winds are south at 6 miles an hour. Afternoon thunderstorms with a high of 80. Then tonight, thunderstorms early. Low temperature of 54. Looks okay for tomorrow, partly cloudy for Shabbos with a high temperature of a 65 degrees. We're at 76 in Yerushalayim, 62 here in Jersey City in a Friday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. Uh, like I said, the weekly update coming up. We're going to try to uh, make contact with the holy city of Jerusalem even before that. We'll see if uh, that works out. We have a couple of guests in mind that have not yet responded to their requests. And we'll continue to focus on the news, that's for sure. And hour number two this morning will be dominated by the news of the day.
just looking at today's New York Times, and again, this is online, so it's hard to tell, you know, exactly when they posted what and what goes with which, uh, you know, which article goes with which day's newspaper. But just today, the headlines, as tension mounts, Palestinian protesters turn up the intensity. Next, Russia denies U.S. claim that missiles aimed at Syria hit Iran. Next, four Syria-bound Russian missiles crashed in Iran, U.S. officials say. Next, historical certainty proves elusive at Jerusalem's holiest place. That's a Rick Gladstone article. I haven't read the whole thing yet, but it looks intriguing. Peter Baker has an article on Susan Rice's combative tone damaging relations with Israel, according to an ex-aide. In a new book, Dennis Ross faults Ms. Rice, the president's national security advisor, for exacerbating tensions with Prime Minister Netanyahu. That would be interesting. That was true. Netanyahu bars politicians from holy site in Jerusalem. Outrageous. Another New York Times headline. Not outrageous in terms of the Times reporting it. Outrageous that Netanyahu has banned certain Jewish members of Knesset from going to Harabayat, which is unbelievable. And Bill de Blasio is set to travel to Israel next week, a tradition the New York Times calls it for New York mayors. And um, we're going to follow that trip pretty closely, pretty closely. And uh, have some details for you next week on it right here at JM and the AM. Friday morning broadcast. More coming up at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world in the web, JM and the AM dot org, and on the NSN app.
Let me get to Shaykh Tehir. 
Friday morning, 10 minutes before 7 o'clock in the morning. It's uh, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Bracious, Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan, Tuesday and Wednesday. Candle lighting today at 6.05. Uh, weekly update later in the 7 o'clock hour. It seems that we're going to be doing a lot of interrupting uh, of our regular programming to talk about the news from Israel, which is ever-changing, unfortunately, because there's more attacks it seems every few minutes. I know that that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but almost not. Um, the Yediot uh, the, is reporting that a 15-year-old uh, uh, a 15-year-old was lightly wounded in Jerusalem stabbing. An attacker shot in Kiryat Arba after trying to steal a soldier's weapon, and a female was neutralized in an attempted stabbing in Afula. Recent wave of attacks continued across Israel Friday. 15-year-old Haredi Jew was stabbed on Rehov. Shol Hanavi in Yerushalayim, lightly wounded. The attacker was neutralized by security forces at the scene. The victim originally reported that the attacker had punched him, but stab wounds were later found on the teen. Minutes after, a 47-year-old police officer was wounded in Kiryat Arbo when a suspect tried to steal his rifle and was shot by other police officers. The incident occurred during a routine security check. Perpetrator in critical condition. One of the policemen lightly wounded. 
And just a short while after the incident in Kiryat Gat, a female attacker was shot and seriously wounded after trying to stab a security guard at the entrance to the central bus station in the northern city of Afula. Perpetrator evacuated to a local hospital. Friday's attacks came after a long string of incidents that have wounded dozens across Israel in the past week that have led to violence against Arabs. That's how Ynet puts it. And I, I don't know why Ynet excludes the murder of Jews that have resulted and the orphans that have been left that have resulted from the recent spate of terror attacks. Anyway, that is the latest from Israel in terms of these uh, these episodes and... Um, We'll talk more about what's happening in Israel. And I guess, in a way, the reaction from around the world um, later this morning here at JMN. Weekly update coming up, plenty more between now and 9 a.m. Naomi Nachman is on with Table for Two starting at 9. She has a great show scheduled. Kedem's presentation of our Erev Shabbos music mix goes from 9 a.m. until candlelighting time. An amazing opportunity to prepare for Shabbos in the most wonderful way possible with beautiful Erev Shabbos music. i got to mention that um, I heard part of uh, the stunt show yesterday, which was on at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Gorf, the brilliant Jordan B. Gorfinkel, hosted a show with Joel Sussman of Safam, basically on Safam's 40th anniversary. Phenomenal. Just phenomenal. He is. He asks great questions, and Sussman is a great guest, as he always has been. Anyway, I thought I'd point that out. It's in the archive section of the NSN app under the stunt show. It's something you may want to check out, especially if you've been a long-time Safam fan, as I have been. More coming up. This is JM in the AM.
Mordechai Ben David and company with Kari Bonoff of Shabbos with the Word of Gerds. A minute before 7 o'clock Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Parshas Bracious, candle lighting at 6.05. O Ben Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan will be Tuesday and Wednesday. Yes, lots of Torah reading coming up next week, as we said. The news from Israel continues to be the way the news from Israel has been over the last few days, and we'll analyze that. And the... Um, we'll analyze that and the... Uh, News of the day in general over the last week uh, coming up here at JM in the AM. There's a lot to talk about. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, who I believe is back from Israel, will join us to discuss all of this here 
at JM in the AM. 62 degrees, afternoon thunderstorms, and a high of 80. It's America's one and only Jewish Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. I want to thank our friends at OnlySimplas.com, those of you who have... Um, who have not seen their recent addition, their expansion. They do all the smachot, but they also have an amazing latest news feed that includes some of the most informative, in many ways entertaining, and certainly comprehensive news items, including yesterday when we hosted Josh Haston here at JMNAM, who was a victim of terror earlier this week. That interview is part of OnlySimplest.com's feed, and we thank them for that. Um, we're going to try to have somebody on from Yerushalayim in the next few minutes. We're working on that as we speak, and plenty more coming up. It's JM in the AM in the background. you got Galei Tzal. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio Newscast, will be coming up. You know what the main focus is today. Unfortunately, we know what the main focus of the news from Israel is today. Matis Weingast will join us later in hour number three. On Sunday, his guest will be live with him on JM Sunday, it's Dr. Excuse me, it's Rabbi Goldstein, the chief rabbi of South Africa. Somebody who has made quite an international name for himself for a variety of reasons, including the Shabbos Project. Matis speaks with him live this Sunday morning. Make sure to be tuned in, jmnam.org, the Nahum Siegel Network app. You'll be glad you did. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday next. Boker Tov from JMNAM. גלי צהל השעה שתיים, כאן שיבל קרמי מנסור עם מה שקורה עכשיו. גל טרור, מחבלת ניסתה לדקור מאבטח בתחנה המרכזית בעפולה, כתבתנו אורנית פורן. מחבלת שהגיעה לכניסה לתחנה המרכזית בעיר חמושה בסכין מנסה לדקור את המאבטח, בתגובה המאבטח יורה בה, היא נפצעה באורח קשה ופונתה לבית החולים העמק בעפולה. כוחות גדולים של משטרה נמצאים במקום ומבצעים סריקות במטרה לבדוק כי אין במקום נפגעים נוספים. זמן קצר לפני כן נדקר נער בן 16 בירושלים ונפצע קל מאוד. בקריית ארבע נדקר שוטר ונפצע קל. כתבנו עם בל תמיר. סמוך לשער המערבי של קריית ארבעה, פלסטיני שנעצר לבדיקה, ניסה לחטוף נשק משוטר, דקר אותו בידו וברגלו ופצע אותו קל. צוותי מגן דוד אדום מעניקים לו טיפול בזירה. שוטר נוסף שהיה במקום פתח בירי לעבר המחבל והרג אותו. בירושלים נער בן 16 נדקר ונפצע קל מאוד. המחבל הדוקר נעצר. השר לביטחון הפנים גלעד ארדן אומר, בעקבות פיגוע הנקמה הבוקר בדימונה, אנו שוקלים להוציא ארגוני ימין קיצוני, בהם להבה מחוץ לחוק. כתבנו אוריה אלקיים שמע אותו בסיור בירושלים. ישנם ארגונים כמו ארגון להבה, שהפעילות שלהם גורמת להסתה לאלימות. אנחנו בוחנים כל צעד משפטי אפשרי, כולל הוצאה אל מחוץ לחוק. שום צעד אנחנו לא פוסלים אותו. מוקדם יותר היום דקר יהודי ארבעה ערבים בדימונה, שניים מהם נפצעו באורח בינוני עד קשה. תפילות יום השישי בהר הבית הסתיימו, עד כה לא דווח על אירועים חריגים. מהעיר העתיקה בירושלים, כתבנו רומי אור. התפילה שהחלה בשעה אחת עברה בצורה שקטה, ובשעה זו ממשיכים המתפללים להתפזר מאזור הר הבית ללא הפרות סדר ומהומות. למרות השקט היחסי שנשמר היום באזור העיר העתיקה, כוחות משטר ערבים עדיין פרוסים כאן, ומוכנים לאפשרות שיחלו עימותים עם פלסטינים גם במהלך התפזרות המתפללים, וגם לאחר מכן. 
מיוחד, ראש השב"כ לשעבר יובל דיסקין קורא לציבור לשאת נשק נוכח המתיחות הביטחונית. הרמטכ"ל לשעבר בני גנץ ממליץ מנגד להיזהר מהתחמשות יתר. בתקופות של מתח ביטחוני טוב שאזרחים יישאו נשק, ובסך הכל אנחנו רואים שבלא מעט אירועים אזרחים מצליחים לנטרל את ה... או להכיל את הפיגועים מהר ולמנוע את ההתרחבות שלהם, לכן אני לא נגד זה. הציבור הוא חלק מהמאבק הזה. אז גם שיהיה דרוך, גם אם הוא מודאג, וזה בסדר, שיהיה דרוך ובאמת יפעל בשיקול דעת ולא יתחילו לשלוט פה אקדחים לכל הכיוונים ויהרגו סתם אנשים. הם דיברו באירוע עמותת בשביל הבנים לזכר חללי צה"ל הדרוזים. תחזית מזג האוויר, היום ללא שינוי, הלילה ייתכנו טפטופים לאורך החוף, מחר התחממות קלה. אלה החדשות שעורך יותם ברגר.
Sam in the AM. It's the uh, Weinreb Brothers with uh, Me'ena Lam Haba from their CD by the very same name. Erev Shabbos Parshas Bresh is candlelighting at 6.05 on this Friday Erev Shabbos. Well, we go straight to Jerusalem. Uh, one of the voices that has been um, so amazing in uh, reviewing situations in Jerusalem for us, and most recently was uh, one of our hosts in Israel in August, you may recall, when he took us on that amazing actual tour of the Yemenite village, and then I guess we can call it an audio or virtual tour of the Yemenite village the next day when we spoke with him on the air. I refer, of course, to Daniel Luria. Daniel Luria is executive director and spokesperson for Ateret Khanim. And if anybody can give us a uh, eyewitness account of what our brothers and sisters in Israel are going through right now, it is he. Daniel Luria, Shana Tova, welcome back to JM in the AM. Shana Tova, good morning and Shabbat Shalom to uh, all your wonderful listeners here from uh, Yerushalayim, Irak Kodesh. Appreciate that. It's been quite a week to say the least. I remind everybody the week began in the midst of the holiday of Sukkot. There was uh, tragic news, of course, with the uh, murder of the of the Henkins, which uh, I know this was not the first episode, because you could tell us there have been a lot of episodes over the last few months, but that certainly got a tremendous amount of, of attention. Unfortunately, it took an episode like that to bring all of this to the forefront. Can you describe for our listeners, for those of us who really do care, even though we are thousands of miles away about our brothers and sisters in Israel, can you describe for us what is going on in the state of Israel right now, uh, of course in Jerusalem, the type of life that now our brothers and sisters are living during these days? Uh, well, let me start by saying that it's been a, uh, a both a exceptionally traumatic and yet uplifting week at the same time. It's a strange combination, of course, but um, I've just uh, left now the, uh, the tent, the morning tent of the whole community, uh, which is underneath uh, where Ariel Shawn has an apartment called Beit Wittenberg, where Rabbi Nehemia Lavi uh, and Aaron Benita were murdered. Of course, the Lavi family live in Beit Wittenberg. They have so for 17 years. He's taught in the yeshiva just down the road in the middle of the old Jewish quarter, the Muslim quarter, for over 20 years. And the uh, horrific uh, terror attack that uh, uh, ended in the, uh, the cutting down of two beautiful flowers uh, basically forced a situation where the community as a whole wanted to spit shiva. It's the strangest thing I've ever seen, but at the time, uplifting. The whole community, the thousand residents that live in the old Jewish quarter today, wanted to express their anger, frustration, feelings of sadness together with the family, and basically have established, and it's run basically by the youth. Uh, of the old city, the old Jewish quarter. And I, and I just um, want to remind everybody, I'm sorry for interrupting, I just want to remind everybody that Rabbi Luria was murdered when he went to try to help a couple. Uh, the husband and father of, of that couple, of course, was murdered, and the wife, 22 years old, was stabbed 11 times by the enemy and was mocked and, and spat at as she was trying to remain conscious until security arrived. Just, uh, just reminding everybody of the circumstances of his murder. Nachabai should uh, we should add to that that this tragedy has actually two aspects to it. There's the uh, uh, the murderer himself, the terrorist, the Arab terrorist, but it's also the Arab shops that have been, by the way, closed. It's very important for the listeners to understand that those people who are standing by, who pushed the lady away, who didn't want to help, who either laughed or said you should also die, one of them actually kicked her. Those shopkeepers and those shops have been shuttered up, and the uh, authorities are looking into legal proceedings against them. 
So this whole week, since the beginning of the shiver, the family is sitting shiver in Beit El, but the community has rallied and is sitting in the middle of the road. This is the main thoroughfare from the Damascus Gate to the Kotel. Most people know about it. Uh, under this huge building called the Wittenberg Complex, where Mark Twain happened to stay 150 years ago because it was the Mediterranean Hotel. But right there, every day, I'm talking hundreds of people, including mainly the children and the youth. Yesterday, there were 120 children the ages of five to seven that just said to heal him. I just left now, and there were 25 women and uh, girls that did hafrashat chala, taking a little bit of the dough, that um, made the mitzvah on the main road. As the Arabs are going to the Temple Mount, we had three quarters of the road was blocked off. Only a certain number of Arabs were allowed onto the Temple Mount. There are police every hundred meters. Yeah. Now, I think your listeners have to understand it is perfectly okay to walk around the old city, to walk everywhere. The one thing that we cannot ever afford to happen is for the Arabs to think that violence and aggression and incitement and terror is going to take away Jerusalem. Right. Hundred, Haj, Amin, yeah. you, Haj Amin El Husseini tried to do that in the 1920s. Right, and you, and you know that you have a many, many sympathetic ears who are in total agreement with you. Uh, but this morning we hear of you know more attacks, uh, Rehov Shmuel Hanavi, one very, very familiar to many of our listeners. And you're, you're right, and believe me, I'm the first to admit that we have to walk with pride through any street, including through the Shuk at any time, including now, and I'd be the first to do so, and I've proven that in the past. However, there are people who are concerned, many of us are concerned, and I can only imagine what the residents of Jerusalem and other cities of Israel, how they're concerned, that the security is not enough, and that the government and the police are not able or, or, or feel they, they don't have the wherewithal or the courage to deal with this situation with the strength that's necessary to deal with it. What do you say to that? Our families are exceptionally resolute, but they are not, uh, they're not angels. Our families basically have been very much affected by what is going on, but at the same time, they've been under this same pressure for years. The result is different, but the actual attempt of Arab terror, the Molotov cocktails, the concrete blocks, on our families has been the same for a number of years, whether it yeah. be the Yemenite village, whether it be the old city. Right. It has been exactly the same. The result now is a shocking result. But the government is finally waking up. Mind you, I don't know whether the answer is having more security guards and a security police and the escorts, whatever it is, every 100 metres. It's not going to solve the problem. Uh, we, under- we, understand, we understand all this, and you and I have spoken about the, the resolve of the residents of places like you just mentioned. However, there are now people who are, whether they're Olim Chadashim, or whether they're, you know, from from outside of Israel and living in Israel now for 20 years, or whether they are from areas of Israel that are not used to these types of things, uh, or they, you know, are, were on the road earlier this week and never dreamed that, you know, a few meters away from an Israeli checkpoint, they could be attacked by an Arab mob. There are people who question and wonder if Israel is going to go ahead and do what is necessary to stop this, to show the even minimal amount of strength that will get the enemy to think twice before embarking on these terror attacks. I believe that the Israeli government, the army, the police, all the relevant authorities, including the judiciary that has to meet out the appropriate punishments, um, are going to do everything which is necessary to clamp this down. They will do everything possible to show who is the Balabai, who is the sovereign body here in charge, and have to send a strong message to the Arabs who, unfortunately, over the last few years, have thought they can get away with anything. Because we haven't stopped the first stone, it ultimately ends in either shooting or stabbing or something else. The concept of sovereignty has to be returned very, very quickly, 
and in the same time, in the same hand, because the Arabs only understand strength and strength and conviction, I believe with my whole heart and I wish that the government Netanyahu will tomorrow, even today, say that there should be building inside the old city. I understand he's under pressure not to do something in Judea and Samaria. He's scared of the Americans, scared of the United Nations. But Whatever yeah. it may be, he but, has but, a political but, but, that he but, has to but, work but, under. But that's, Jerusalem, but, but that's Jerusalem has to be approved, a building project at the Flowers Gate. You cut down flowers, you build flowers. Understood, you, but that's my point. My point is it is difficult to exhibit that sovereignty when you as the leader of Israel restrict Jewish members of Knesset from going up to Harabayat, or when you as a leader in Israel, you know, hesitate to clamp down when necessary to give the orders that are necessary to show the strength that is necessary for the enemy to hesitate before they embark on these type of terror attacks. I understand what you're saying, and boy, do I hope you're right that the government of Israel is going to, to you know, to take these steps, but... And it's a shame that, you know, Rabbi Luria and the Henkins and all these other victims had to give their life to... Rabbi Lavi, Rabbi Lavi. I apologize, Rabbi... I apologize, using your name. Rabbi Lavi and the other victims had to, you know, give their lives in order to get to this point. But as observers from thousands of miles away, and I emphasize that we're here and you're there, and there's a big difference, it it just seems that that there is no resolve among the leadership in Israel to, in fact, go ahead and behave the way you're describing. I'm not, a pol- I'm not a politician. I'm a person on the ground. I know what has been happening. I know what needs to be done. And I'm hoping that the government has internalized that same issue. First and foremost, if the government doesn't wake up and say that Oslo is dead, then we have a problem. If they still believe that Land for Peace works, then we have a problem. I believe now that we have the right people in the government, and I'm hoping that the, they haven't internalized the issue, that we're dealing with a authority, the Palestinian Authority, and Hamas both, who are involved in terror, incitement and hatred, and non-acceptance of the Jewish state. There will never be peace until they change their thinking. There's a switch in their approach to the Jewish people. They have to understand that we have resolve. If they think that violence and murder is going to stop us from walking from the Kotel... They have, a mis- they have a huge mistake. They don't understand the Jewish people. Rav Chaim Sonnenfeld walks through the same street, Rehov Agai, after the pogroms to show sovereignty. Today we need the Israeli government, every minister, to come visit Yerushalayim once a week to come and approve whatever needs to be approved to add Jewish life there. If they cut down flowers, we have to build flowers. They destroyed the lives of families. We have to add families. If the Israeli government does not internalize that, then the government has to change. Daniel Luria is with us, executive director and spokesperson for our Tarot Khanim. <laughs> now you understand why he is the way he is. Even in these circumstances, he's able to paint a very positive picture. Uh, tell us specifically about our Tarot Khanim. I mean, you did describe how the youth have uh, essentially taken over the area this week. They are mourning the way uh, a beloved rabbi and uh, other victims should be mourned. Uh, no doubt they are going to have that resolve going forward, the resolve that you just described. What else do we need to know about that community, the old Jewish quarter, the Muslim quarter, and the old city in general over the next few days? Well, it has been converted already to a, uh, a massive pulsating center of Jewish life. Shmuel Eliyahu is going to be there the whole of Shabbat. There will be 120 people at Kabbalat Shabbat on the main road, not inside the building, but on the main road, Kabbalat Shabbat, Shmuel uh, uh, Eliyahu today, all of Shabbat. Uh, there will be 
carrying on till the end of the Shiva. Politicians, rabbis have given chizuk to the youth who have been very frustrated because of the uh, uh, lack of uh, government security, lack of biklal, the lack of security over the last uh, few years. They had enough with this shocking murder of uh, Rabbi Lavi, who was uh, so much loved by the whole community. He is real, basically a, a giving angel. There was no one like him inside the old city. And that's why this uh, protest, this feeling of association... Uh, but also it's very uplifting to see how the youth are behaving and the families right under Bet Wittenberg. All I can hope and pray is that Shabbat goes quietly. We have to send the right messages to the world, and that is that Jerusalem belongs to the Jewish people. The, the Arab world have not internalized that yet. They think that violence will get them everywhere. They have to realize that we are going to double our Jewish presence there. It is difficult for the families. Some of them have been affected very badly. We're trying to send some of the families to go away for a, for a break from the old city. It's been so traumatic. You have to understand that even Netta Lavi came downstairs and saw her husband struggling with the terrorists after he was stabbed in his back. And all these Arab shopkeepers are doing nothing. So there's been a lot of trauma. There's a lot of issues uh, that we're trying to deal with at various levels. We have to add uh, emergency medical uh, cupboards to each one of these compounds. We want to have self-defense classes. We want to send the families away for uh, the weekends. And more important, or just as important, is we want the Jewish people to understand the only response to terror is adding more life. And that means every Jew that owns a place in Lawrence or in Englewood or in Brooklyn or in Los Angeles, wherever these thousands of listeners listen to you, they have to have a place here. They should buy back Yerushalayim for the Jewish people. The Shana Habab Yerushalayim is real, and we're living that dream. You never thought the Yemenite village would be your quietest neighborhood, huh? Well, actually, unfortunately, they're still under attack there, as you, can, as, you, as you saw. Just in the last four months, one family has been attacked 126 times, reported attacks on one family. Where's the Jewish world? I want your listeners, every single person who listens to you, and I'm sure there are tens of thousands of people, to be involved with Jerusalem at the ground level. Daniel Luria, um, if people want to be in touch with you, if people want to uh, email you, and be in touch to help out, what should they do? They should email me on DL, as in Daniel Luria, DLJerusalem at gmail.com. Uh, we have a uh, American Friends group that are very active in helping us out. You can go to the Internet site, JerusalemChai.com. Uh, be in touch with Shani Haikand or Chaim Litag in the office. Uh, but if you want to be in touch with me directly about some of the specific projects, DLJerusalem at gmail.com. And I hope it will be a quiet Shabbat with no more Arab terror, no more stabbings and just uh, Kabbalat Shabbat. In, uh, in peace. Um, I know you said earlier, rightfully, that all of us need to, you know, have a place in Israel, as you described. Um, but before we get to that point, at least for some of us, um, maybe it would be a good time for you to remind everybody that this is a very good time to visit. Many of us utilize the opportunity to take advantage of uh, Israel when it's a nice, convenient, wonderful vacation. Uh, however, we are probably needed now more than during those times, and I bet you'd agree with that. I will agree with that, not just 100%, 1,000%. And my, my, my beg, I'm begging the Jewish people around the world to understand how the Arabs perceive this. Throughout the Arab world, on all their Facebooks, they're talking about how Arab terror is scaring Jews away from Jerusalem. We can do more by more terror. We can drive them out of Jerusalem. These are things specifically written on various Arab Facebook pages today. 
They think they have a victory. Today, more than ever, we need people to come to Israel, to walk the streets, to walk with Atzeret Konim, to walk every single alleyway and show the Arab world who is the Balabay. If we stop going to the Kotel, if we stop going for those who go to Harabayat, that's another issue, that's, uh, that's also. But for those, if we stop coming to the old city, and I heard uh, you know, that certain rabbis said that maybe we should cut back, this is absurd. Mm-hmm. Today is the time, the only way we're going to have victory over the Arab world is to show resilience, to show true commitment and belief that Yerushalayim belongs to us. It belongs to us by having feet on the ground. There are policemen, there are Border Patrol policemen. It is safe to walk. You have to open your eyes, of course. But we have to come today, visit Yerushalayim, visit the country. Do not only come here on nice occasions. So, Daniel, we, uh, we say Yerushalayim Oroshel Olam, and tomorrow we say that God said Vayihi Or. We are, the li- we are not just the light of the nations. We have to light up Jerusalem. The only way to light up Jerusalem is by people being here. Jerusalem itself is not a light without Jewish life and the Jewish soul. When there is Torah, when there is Jewish learning, when there is a pitter-patter of Jewish feet, when there is a girl saying, Hafashat Chala, when there are mitzvot done by Jews in Yerushalayim with Jewish life, that is the light. That is Orosh Olam. And I call upon all of Am Yisrael to be involved, to come. It's not enough anymore to sing and dance for Yerushalayim. Now's the time to walk and work and invest in Jerusalem. Daniel Luria, uh, dljerusalem at gmail.com to be in touch with him, and we highly recommend that you be in touch with him before you head to the Holy Land. Uh, Daniel, um, truly, I say to you and everybody there, Shabbat Shalom, a real true Shabbat of peace. Amen. Amen, amen. And may it be the beginning of the new year where Parshat Bereshit, Hashem created the world, the message of this week's Pasha is one, not what was created on what day, but that God creates and he gave the Jewish people the land of Israel. The center of that is Jerusalem. It belongs to us, and we should be shouting that from the rooftops. Shabbat shalom to everyone. Shabbat shalom, and thank you so much. Daniel Luria from Yerushalayim, Friday morning broadcast at JM in the AM.
Yitzchak Fuchs here at JM in the AM. Before that, Micha Gammerman, who's scheduled to join us, I think, Tuesday morning. He'll be with us at JM in the AM. 
if I'm not mistaken. It's a brand new CD entitled Micha Avdecha. Simcha Liner, that is a good song. It's called Shalom. That is a good song. Off of SL2, Simcha Liner, volume number two. And Avram, I'll have freed with Yerushalayim after our conversation with Daniel Luria from the Old City. Yerushalayim, Oro Shalolam. And this week we say Vayihiyar. Actually, God says Vayihiyar. Let's hope the light of Jerusalem, in fact, becomes brighter and brighter. Friday morning broadcast, Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Bracious, candle lighting time at 6.05 on this Erev Shabbos. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow, Rosh Chodesh Mar will be Tuesday and Wednesday. Big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. We, as always, recommend, if you want to print out thousands of articles to read over Shabbos, Bracious, about this world of ours, there's a lot to read about this week, uh, go to JewishWorldReview.com. They'll take care of all that for you. They've already culled together which articles you need. <laughs> and as usual, a big thank you to our friends at OnlySimclas.com. I noticed that our conversation with Josh Haston, a victim of terror this week in Jerusalem, right outside the checkpoint near Har Chomah. You may recall seeing the story on Facebook or hearing the conversation here at JMNAM. Anyway, our first-hand account conversation with him made it to their news feed yesterday, and I thank them for that. Check out OnlySimclas.com. They are expanding like crazy into reporting a whole bunch of stuff. Not just informative and serious, but some fun stuff as well in the Jewish world. And I think you will find that uh, enlightening. Yeah, why not? Malcolm Honline coming up next. He's Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Many anxious listeners want to hear what he has to say about what is happening in Israel and the Jewish world. That is next right here at JM in the AM. But no one should question Israel's determination to defend itself against those who seek our destruction. For in every generation, there were those who rose up to destroy our people. In antiquity, we faced destruction from the ancient empires of Babylon and Rome. In the Middle Ages, we faced inquisition and expulsion. And in modern times, we faced pogroms and the Holocaust. Yet the Jewish people persevered. And now another regime has arisen, swearing to destroy Israel. That regime would be wise to consider this. I stand here today representing Israel, a country 67 years young, but the nation-state of a people nearly 4,000 years old. Yet the empires of Babylon and Rome are not represented in this Hall of Nations. Neither is the thousand-year Reich. Those seemingly invincible empires are long gone. But Israel lives. The people of Israel live. Am Israel Chai. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be back and uh, to be with you. Appreciate that. We need you to be a drop louder, and I thank you. Um, that, of course, the words of the Prime Minister of Israel in the General Assembly at the United Nations, Thursday, Cholamoid, we didn't get an opportunity to speak about his speech last week. I do want to remind our listeners, by the way, podcast of this conversation in its entirety, uh, available within minutes of its conclusion in the um, archives sec- in the weekly update section of the archives section of the NSN app. Keep that in mind. You could hear everything in its entirety 
uh, when you go to that um, uh, to that app just minutes after this conversation ends. That that paragraph, by the way, continued uh, and ended with the words, "So here's my message to the rulers of Iran: Your plan to destroy Israel." will fail. Malcolm, I think you have to admit that this is another week that proves that the enemy of Israel still has not gotten the message. Well, the enemies of Israel and of the Jewish people haven't gotten the message. They haven't for a couple thousand years, so there's no reason to suspect that they will all of a sudden be enlightened. And uh, But the answer has always been the same. Internally, there has to be Jewish unity. There has to be uh, an understanding that whatever differences, the enemies target all Jews, and that, and second, that the government has to act with resolve. That the only message, the only method that can be successful is one that is based on strength and determination, and that tolerating even a small, a lower level of um, violence is detrimental and and. This is a cancer that metastasizes, that when you let it go in one area, like Hyrus 18, the Mouth of Olives, or against the Light Railroad, or others, and there isn't decisive action, which involves holding the parents of minors uh, accountable, which means putting people in jail for, for rock throwing and stone throwing, as it's called in the media, but those who have witnessed it can, will tell you that these are boulders and cinder blocks and have proven deadly in the past and uh, injured many, and they are being used now, and, and it's really, Hazdei Hashem, it's just yeah. a miracle. So why, Others were not hurt. So why doesn't the government of Israel get this message? <laughs> why is it so clear to people like you and myself and many others? And we and by the way, we had Josh Haston on yesterday. He described how a minimal show of strength on his part saved his life from an Arab mob the other day. Why is it that the government of Israel doesn't get this message? Look, I think the government does, and I think Netanyahu and uh, the government of Israel operate in, in, and want, obviously, to put an end to the violence. There are restrictions. There are realities that, uh, that compromise or dictate what they can uh, often do. But I think in the, in the case of uh, the Harabayit, they have sent the wrong messages. In the case of Marazetim, they have made efforts. They put up cameras. They put up some fences. They did take preliminary steps. But at the same time, it seems the police have orders that are very restrictive of their ability to respond. On the first part, it sounds like you agree that it's absurd that Jewish members of Knesset can't go to Harabayat. I think it's absurd that Arab members can go and Jewish members can't. If you want to ban everybody, then ban everybody and, and steal it off. If you if you make a discriminatory policy, you are just reinforcing what Abbas has been doing. And you know this is an issue I've spoken about for a long time, and I feel very strongly about. Is Abbas says the Temple Mount is ours, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is ours. So it's not just against Jewish heritage and history; it's against Christianity as well. He continues to incite about the Harabai talking about Al-Aqsa being under siege because he knows there's nothing that incites more to this. This is the third holiest place for Muslims. It is the holiest place for Jews. It is sacred to, to Christians and others. And the, the message that is sent, if we don't show the same determination that they do, their efforts to uproot our connection, 
and we have to demonstrate and it's, and and one of the victories they get is when people don't go to the old city when people don't go to the hotel when people don't visit israel this is a victory for the terrorists yeah. i understand all the reasons and i don't think people should you know put themselves in a situation of kind of in a situation of danger they have to listen to what the police say that people should not take the law into their own hands but on the other hand there has to be the freedom and i spoke to policemen who told me that they were frustrated at times and uh, also lack of manpower it's, it's a huge burden for the state of israel i understand but there has to be a clear message and when the international community gives them license when Abbas can give a speech as he did at the at the UN, and the international community applauds and welcomes and continues to to uh, uh, abide his his incitement, and it is incitement on his part. He knows the consequences of saying that that it's under siege when he calls on people to demonstrate, and he doesn't back off of it. Now they're saying, oh, he's really cooperating and and he's you know trying to calm things down. When at the same time his speech is incite his honoring of terrorists, his continuing to fund the families of, quote, martyrs and those who killed Jews is not acceptable. Yeah. I, I know this, it's wrong of me to divert this way, but, but give me just a minute on this. I know we have so much news to cover, but and, and not that, God forbid, I would ever suggest that anybody's life is more valuable than others, but we, we know about the murder of the Henkins and the orphans they leave behind. We know about Rabbi Lavi and and his greatness, and many others that were lost or, or are injured over the, la- over the last few days. Why does it seem that the enemy always takes our best? And again, not to compare a, a Jewish life to another, but why does it always seem, Malcolm, that the price is always so high in these episodes? <laughs> it's a question I certainly can't answer. And uh, the, I think that if you look at the panoply of people who have been stabbed, who have been targeted, there were more attacks uh, today, uh, a much lower level, uh, thank God, and and from the peak of earlier this week when there were perhaps 100 incidents, uh, many of them not resulting in severe casualties. And, and when people, the reports, when they read them and it says that they're lightly wounded, yeah. by our standards and by the recipient standards, it is severely wounded. In some cases, as today, uh, the young boy, who was, the young man who was stabbed, uh, didn't even know it. Right. It was only afterwards when he was walking around and said he had pain in his shoulder that right. he realized that he had, been, he had multiple stab wounds. So not all of them are, are, are of the same level. But when you look at, at who are the young people who are defending Israel, I was on the Syrian border last Thursday, at literally seeing the terrorists across the border, and the commander of the base was Josh Hasten's cousin. <laughs> And, you know, when he introduced himself, and, he, and, and of course I knew his grandfather and, and the members of his family and Josh, uh, and you see the finest people you can imagine, many of them old soldiers, some of them from one young woman from, from Brooklyn, others from, from other parts of the country, from the United States, as well as, of course, all over Israel. And every one of them is just such a stellar individual and so committed and and they sit up there in this isolated outpost. They never complain. They they yearn to continue. They they get uh, rotated every three months, and they complain because they feel how important what they're doing on the border, where they can literally look down and see the uh, Syrian rebels or Hezbollah or uh, Al Nusra walking around. And they often test the border. You know, they walk up to the border to see if the Israelis react, and they wave at the security cameras to show that they know exactly where everything is. 
but these individuals, and certainly the Henkins and and those who were killed in Yerushalayim, and are are all exemplary individuals. But that is the people of Israel. Yeah, that is the. Yeah, it's true. The truth is, they're all the best. That's the whole point. You're 100 percent right. By the way, not to divert again, but now I'm curious. So, and excuse the you know the naivete behind this question. You were on the Syrian border. How close were you to the nearest ISIS installation? A um, hundred yards. Literally, it's that close to Israel. You could see them. We we watched them walking around through the binoculars. You could see their faces. You saw the installations. They showed us where they build the infrastructure, and uh, we saw a Russian tank that they had captured. So, literally, you look right down the mountain at them. And there it is. Uh, on the issue of incitement or the issue of who we are dealing with, uh, there are so many examples we can give, and you've, of course, already uh, described the uh, speech by Abbas at the UN. But but we just have to remind ourselves who we're dealing with. This Ayal Golan song, which is one of the most beautiful songs ever, Misha Ma'amin, was turned this week into a Hamas-sponsored parody in Hebrew describing both audio and visually through videos the murder of Israeli soldiers and the bombing of Israeli tanks. This is who we are dealing with on the other side of this peace issue. They welcome death. And they don't care whether they sacrifice their own youth or whether they sac- uh, they certainly want to sacrifice uh, Jews. Um, and they they hide behind the international community. The world is silent in the face of the attacks on Jews. Most of them don't even get reported. If you would look at the Times, you've got other papers, you don't know. You only know the I- Israeli response. <coughs> and uh, I spent some time at the UN this week. It's, it is uh, it is unbelievable still sometimes to to comprehend the indifference when it comes to Jewish blood and Abbas who is responsible for setting precondition after preconditions for negotiations and everybody says Israel has to do more Israel has to give more Israel has to respond there have been five thousand rock attacks or stonings in 2015 and and in Jerusalem you know there were 300 firebombs thrown. This is this is uh, 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 it would not be tolerated in any society, and and uh, and he Abbas himself and the leadership there are responsible. And we put out a statement this week, and it got a, a lot of reaction because I said if they don't do it, the United States has to send a message. We cut funding. We have to send say there is a consequence for for the actions that that are um, that are taking place. And now we see Al Aqsa brigades. The Martyrs Brigade people involved again, that is Fatah. We see Hamas cells caught responsible for the murder of, of several people. And, you know, this is, uh, this is not an intifada yet. They, they will use the terminology. They will appeal to it because they want it to be widespread. But it is not. This is not an organized, uh, centrally directed. It's not a boss giving orders to, to, to people to... Engage in these acts of but why are there so many reports that indicate that, that he, in fact, is giving orders? And you'd think through social media it really is an intifada at this point with the organized effort that's behind it. What I said is he doesn't give specific orders to individuals to carry out these acts. These are more spontaneous from all of the security people that I've spoken to. Uh, made it very clear these are you know individuals engaging right. in these acts. Right. Some of them may be inspired by Hamas, and that's why I pointed out the different groups that are involved. But it, it, he is responsible in the sense that he honors the martyrs. He, he uh, uh, pays 
funds to them and to their families. He's, he, uh, even those who are caught in prison receive a, a monthly pension while they're in prison for murdering uh, Jews or attacking uh, Jews or Israelis. The, um, so the, the idea that this is an intifada is meant to scare the Israelis, it's meant to kill tourism, it's meant to hurt Israeli business and Israel's image, and the idea that this is a popular uprising. Most Palestinians do not want to see violence. They don't want to see a return to the Intifada. Yet when they stand by and you see them drinking Cokes and spitting on the woman who was wounded and refusing to aid and abet them... Yeah, a 22-year-old girl who's a mother and stabbed 11 times. Right. Unbelievable. And, 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 and now the Israeli government is acting against those... Uh, Arab shopkeepers and others who stood by because there is a law. Right. It's called it. Don't stand by idly. It's, the, I guess, a good Samaritan law, what yeah. we would call it, for those uh, who engage. So the image that is created is that this is across the country and it's widespread. And the truth is that I went to the Kotel during these periods. You, you don't see it unless you're actually on the site of an incident. But what you did see now in the, in the couple, last couple of days is a growing level of tension. And any incident, any suspected incident, evokes a reaction, overreaction. Yeah. In fact, people, when nothing really, uh, in, in times when nothing occurred, or places where nothing really occurred, but people are so sensitive uh, to it today. Yeah. And, they, and they look at what Iran threatens to do by arming people in the West Bank. We know that they're giving more money to Hamas and Hezbollah now since the deal was signed. We know that this escalates the dangers across the borders, so Israel can't have this happening within its borders and at the same time face the dangers across its borders. Uh, it's America. Bear with me and the Prime Minister for a second. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM Dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Reminder, this conversation available in its entirety minutes after its conclusion in the um, archive section of the weekly update section of the NSN app. Keep that in mind. You can catch up on everything you may have missed at the beginning of this conversation. Last month, Khamenei once again made his genocidal intentions clear. Before uh, Iran's top clerical body, the Assembly of Experts, he spoke about Israel home to over six billion Jews. He pledged, quote, there will be no Israel in 25 years, end quote. Seventy years after the murder of six million Jews, Iran's rulers promise to destroy my country, murder my people. And the response from this body, the response from nearly every one of the governments represented here, has been absolutely nothing. Utter silence. Deafening silence. And then, of course, the Prime Minister uh, continued that deafening silence for a period of time. Um, I, I commented how the best soundbite of the speech, ironically, had no sound. 
And, uh, you know, on paper, I wouldn't have thought it was a great tactic, but I think, I, I think it, all of us would have to agree that it was very effective. Wouldn't you agree, Malcolm? It certainly got people's attention. So I've spoken to ambassadors, including some Arab ambassadors, who told me they thought the speech was very powerful and the moment of silence effective. But the fact is that it got little coverage. It, it, it you know, he, he's, uh, it, it's as if he is in an echo chamber where his voice resonates uh, with with a few of the people, but largely just passes through, and that's the end of it. And uh, I think it's regrettable that the, that the prime minister of Israel has to come before the international body, and rather than talking about constructive uh, steps, is forced to, to address them in the way that he did. And essentially, I mean, it's a responsibility that he has to tell the truth and to tell it like it is. And I think... Many of the ambassadors there appreciated what he had to say, and I can tell you they told me that it was very effective. But in advance, you never would have thought that he would have used Thursday's speech to to, to spend all that time on the Iran deal, right? You would have thought maybe a, a part of it or a small percentage of it, but the majority of it was about the Iran deal. Because that's the body that will be in charge, especially the Security Council, with enforcing the resolution which will be, as I said all along, I think the governing document, not the the deal necessarily, not the JPOA, but I think the UN Security Council resolution, which Iran already has said they will not uh, honor. And you see that Khamenei says he's going to ban all talks and negotiations with the U.S., contradicting what uh, Rouhani had said in his, uh, again, one of his um, sweet-talking statements about uh, opening up opportunities. They're giving more money to Hamas and Hezbollah. They are advancing their goals to, to, to be in a position to dominate the region and certainly to threaten the, the state of Israel. And they are building terror cells, including near the Golan. They want to be in a position to be able to create problems along the Syrian border, just as Hezbollah can, and because of Iran on the Lebanese border and Hamas uh, on the Gaza border, and they talk about arming the West Bank. So he is, he is simply laying out to the people an understanding. And if it's a a necessary for the people to understand whatever action Israel decides to take, whether against Iran or whether against the forces of terrorism, he has a responsibility to lay out the predicates so that they will understand uh, why Israel has to act as it does. Was there a direct... will not know from the media what the reality is. Was there a directive from Washington that there be no U.S. representation at the speech? No. And I think that there's that this is a diversion of and people I know... Um, discuss this a great deal. I have looked into it. I've spoken to the people involved. And uh, the fact is that the U.S. ambassador did not attend any speeches and did plan to attend the ambassador's speech, uh, the prime minister's speech. Uh, Kerry did not attend any of the other speeches. There were always uh, members of the delegation, U.S. delegation, in attendance at the session, as there were when Netanyahu spoke. There was an emergency National Security Council meeting. It was because of a particular development and um, let me let me ask the question. Let me ask the question differently. Last time he spoke at the UN was the U.S. representation. I I think that the yes, I'm sure the ambassador was there. I mean, the one thing that that Ambassador Powers has done is to be present for Netanyahu's speech. And I again spoke to her yesterday about it. We we have been pressing this issue, and if there was no walkout. That story. Right. Uh, is untrue that they were there. They weren't there, and they didn't walk out. 
and uh, Kerry wasn't even in New York at the time. Right. Yeah. It was in New York uh, for part of the time, but they were both called to this right. Security Council yeah. meeting because of the development that happened. Right. Yeah, I mean, I really shouldn't belabor the point. It's not a good use of time, but I, I just, it, with the Dennis Ross article in the book and, and everything, it, it, do you think it really does come, and you've described a million times in the last seven years how close the relationship is, especially with intelligence and security between Israel and the United States at all levels. Is it probably just some really serious personality conflict between the president and the prime minister, and it really is that on a personal level, and they're able to keep whatever animosity there is outside of the real U.S.-Israel relationship? Would that be the most responsible way of portraying it? I don't know that it's the most accurate way to portray it. I, I do think that there is, obviously, tension in the personal relationship. I think the November 9th meeting will be critical in this regard. Oh, we keep forgetting about that, right? That's that's right around the corner. And, right? uh, and I think that the Prime Minister was leaving open uh, the opportunity for this to be a positive thing. And Israel is coming with some very important requests. One of them uh, that they will be negotiating is the extension, the next 10-year deal, which provides Israel with over $3 billion a year in, in military assistance, and they're asking for significant increases. They're asking for other things to, to defend Israel. It is true the military and the, ter- and, and the security cooperation has been very good. That is not to say that it is everything has been good and that at all levels the relationship uh, is what we want it to be and, and that cooperation is at the level that it should be. But in that those areas, it certainly has been um, sustained uh, uh, over this time. What I do think the problem with the U.N. session was the optics. It was the question of how did the other countries read it. When they saw the absence, did they look for Samantha Powers? Was she there when uh, CC of Egypt spoke or other leaders spoke? No, nobody bothers to check. But when Israel's there, and because of the tensions that exist, everybody focuses attention on it, and everybody looks who's sitting there, who was to the right, who was to the left, what level were were they? Uh, So I do not believe that that was a deliberate thing. I do believe that the optics uh, that it created... You meaning the impression that that uh, resulted from it is is of concern, and then some of the other statements, some of the equating of of the firefighters and the arsonists, the people defending citizens of Israel and those who are carrying out terrorists, saying both sides have to react. There have been condemnations of the acts of violence by the administration, but we have to see and and coming in the aftermath of course of the debate of the last few months Man. so we want to see the us israel relationship back on solid footing we want to see them cooperating with the enemies that they have in the region and developments in syria russia's role other things put them both on the same side and reinforce the commonality of interests but one i don't believe you whitewash it i think you have to face the reality and there has to be a change in the tone there. Both sides have to come together on November 9th, show the world that the United States and Israel are on the same side against these enemies, and as we translate it into real actions. And I hope that the administration will be forthcoming and that they, they'll be able to reach an understanding. That will send a very positive message. All of a sudden yesterday, uh, the news explodes with Bibi's desire to now form a unity government. What would be the advantage, especially at this time, to go ahead and do so? Well, one is because he's had some internal fights. He's threatened uh, members of his coalition that he would replace them uh, because he doesn't like some of the comments and criticism, I guess. Second, it sends a positive message to the world. It says that, look, we have no differences on the issues of the security, the threats against Israel. 
the time when they have the external dangers and internal uh, actions and, and threats, that there has to be a united front. And the truth is that, by and large, Herzog's comments have been very strong and supportive even of the government, both on the Iran issue and on the need to face uh, the, the security challenges. There have been other differences. Yeah, that's true. By the way, I think you had pointed out during the election that that may, that may have cost him the way he was in agreement with Netanyahu on some of those issues. It may I don't have... think that it necessarily cost him. I think that, you know, whatever issues arise within the Labor Party, uh, but I think right now the people of Israel want to see unity. They don't want another election. They don't want to have to go through this process. They think that there has to be, uh, you know, some stability in order to face these challenges. So the Israeli government reaction to all this violence will be the same whether there's a unity government or not, you believe. It's not like it's not like the Prime Minister can accomplish can accomplish it better or stronger if there is a unity government or not. Well I think the message of a unity government that it, it uh, stops those who attempt to divide and play the parties off against one another. We know that, that even coalition members criticize the government. Right. So what's the difference if the opposition <laughs> That's or true. members of the coalition, the result <laughs> is the same. They always do it. And, and But this is really a time when Israel needs to, to come together and to, to face this challenge. This is a big burden. I mean, defense, you think this little country, and you think of all of the incredible expenditures that it needs to defend its borders, defend its cities, defend its citizens, to, to pr- promote its interests. And yet, at the same time, the economy is still booming compared to everybody else. It's, it, uh, you, you travel around the country, you see the amazing discoveries, you see the high-tech and, and water sufficiency, the model that it's become for the world. And unity has always proven to be the, the prerequisite, the one precondition that is yeah. essential for success. So I and nothing unifies like terror. And, and the, uh, yes, and that is a shame that we have to be brought yeah. together because of the outside threats. But I think the, the talk of unity government, and, uh, and right now it was turned down, um, it, you know, is an important uh, message. Um, it, it, so much has happened in the last two weeks regarding Russia and Syria. It's almost unfair for me to put it this way, but we have limited time, obviously. It, it, has it now been set up, and again, excuse the simple way of describing this, essentially, Assad has an ally in Russia who's willing to go to bat for him against ISIS. Is this essentially the commitment that Russia is making to Syria? That is one of the commitments Russia is making. I think that Putin has multiple agendas. One that people don't think about is that there are over 2,000 uh, Chechens fighting with ISIS in Syria mm. who will come back and pose a, a credible threat to him. Uh, by the end of this decade, 40% of Russia's military will right. be Muslim. Right. Uh, so he has an agenda there to eliminate those people. Second, he has big interest with their base in Latakia. It is the only forward base outside the former Soviet Union of uh, of the uh, of of the Russia, he has sent a message, and it, you're seeing the, the uh, reverberations in some of the Muslim world where they're saying, "Listen, at least Putin is a man of his world. He word, he stands up for it. That he plays off the weakness of the West. Um, he is pursuing his agenda and and bombing and shooting missiles a thousand uh, miles away into into the um, into the, the areas of Syria." And unfortunately, not going after ISIS alone, but even going after the uh, rebel forces. And we are seeing many changes there. The U.S. has ruled out military cooperation with the Russians as long as they target non-ISIS 
uh, uh, rebels and others who the United States and, and some of the Arabs are supporting. And you see the Saudi Arabians and others are talking about stepping up their activities, the Qataris, uh, against uh, the Russians and the Russian-backed forces. Uh, you see that the Russians are targeting Mosul and Raqqa, where you do have ISIS presence, but that is not the, the major uh, target. And the question will, ha- will be, what will happen when you start having Russian body bags coming out of there? How will the right. people in Russia react to it at a time when the economic conditions are terrible. It means that he has to draw troops down from the Ukraine in order to go there. Uh, he, he has, um, it's a major commitment uh, on his part, but he is sending the message that he's a leader and that he's you know, standing up for what he believes, and he believes that the stability that is in his interest and has united him with, with Iran, with whom he has vast differences and, and many more differences than commonalities, uh, drives them together in the support of, of sustaining Assad in power. Does Israel mind that that relationship exists? I'm sure they're wary of it, but do they mind that Assad, that, excuse me, that Putin is taking this type of commitment to Assad so seriously? Look, n- nobody knows what really is good anymore because you have so many forces, and if you remember, Many years ago when this started, I said to people, you have to look at the war in, in Syria as an onion, and you can peel off layer after layer, but right. it's Sunni Shiite, it's, it's uh, Kurds versus uh, uh, Turkey and versus Iran and versus uh, the Alawites versus everybody, the Christians. I mean, you have so many levels. Pl- of plus now ISIS being represented by hundreds of different ethnic groups. And, and uh, their presence, and by the way, getting stronger in southern Syria near the Israeli border, openly operating near the border they have about five to six hundred people uh, in, in near the Israeli border the um, and and the FSA the Free Syrian Army in the area hasn't received new weapons in three months they get paid seventy dollars a month the ISIS gets five hundred dollars a month and Al Nusra about three hundred a month where do you think guys are going to go right. and the the uh, the message that keeps being sent is that the West doesn't stick to the red lines the US and, and the uh, European allies and the others are so tolerant that the the uh, violations by Russia, by others, keeps getting uh, overlooked. And if you remember the Soleimani visit that we talked about, which was a violation of the sanctions against Iran, he's the head of the Quds forces in Iran. That was where they laid out with the Russians the the predicates for this. They, they brought maps. They brought all sorts of detailed um, plans and enlisted and showed the. Uh, uh, Putin, what could be done, um, and now he, he's gone beyond just having the air force and bringing very sophisticated fighter planes there, but he also has troops protecting his base, and they will become targets for the the uh, rebels who will respond to, to the Russian attack, so you're going to have an escalation uh, more and more of, of uh, danger there, and of course, Israel is put in a difficult position because if they see the movement of weapons, and we know that the most modern weapons coming into Syria from Iran, paid for by Iran, Russian weapons, are making their way to Hezbollah, and Israel has to stop it. What happens uh, when they have to be in a confrontation or potential confrontation with Russian forces right. in there? So the word du jour that has come out of all of this, <laughs> Is the conflict. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard it. Yeah. You know, which means that you try to avoid confrontations between the different parties who are there, who are not interested in and who don't have anything against each other, but are all 
protecting their various interests in the in, in Syria. You know, for those of us who are believers and have been, you know, taught for many, many decades the way things are, quote unquote, as time marches on toward the, you know, t- toward the ultimate goal. Let's put it that way. Uh, it's, it's, it's easier to understand that you're, you're dealing with, you're dealing not just in Israel with people who are, you know, randomly, you know, coming out of the woodwork to, to attack Jews, but you're dealing with countries now that are supporting terror, you know, without a specific address, so to speak, uh, where groups can pop up in any country and strengthen themselves and, you know, become violent and, and terror filled, you know, at the drop of a hat. You, you just never know it that, you know, this whole global, uh, and I don't want to paint, you know, such a horrible picture, but, but the, the global, um, a conflict situation that has always been envisioned in Jewish history is really playing itself out in front of our very eyes. Yeah, but you can't figure out who's Gog and who's Mog, who's going to be, who's yeah. going to be which side of this thing. That's true. And you have many factors. I mean, obviously we're not going to go into it, but the migration issue has such broad implications for what the future of Europe will, will be, what, 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 what happens with the dispersal of huge populations, the infiltration, what happens to the 30,000 or 25,000 ISIS fighters who are being trained as killers, ultimately? What happens, do the, do the Kurds create a state? What happens with the alliances now, the permanent uh, presence of Russia? Russia's selling weapons now to, Syria, to, this, to the Egyptians, to the Saudis. They don't want Russia there. They, don't, they think it's a godless country. They still think of them as communists. They threw them out of all these countries. But they're bringing it back. So the West has to show that they are leaders, that they are determined, that they're going to take the actions that are necessary. The Iran deal in that sense, and that the, the perception that America gave in and the West gave in to, right. the, to the demands of the Iranians further undermines any confidence. All right, three quick things, and I know there's a million things to discuss. We'll reconvene next week. Uh, three quick things. Can we get honorary ambassadorships for John Bon Jovi and Jerry Seinfeld? I think that people should make sure to thank them, to write them letters to the, all of those who who uh, come to Israel and who perform there. There were uh, other concerts during Sukkot by um, uh, other well-known uh, entertainers. I, I don't remember their names because I don't know. <laughs> you're not. You're not. But they're very well known. I know because everybody was saying, "Wow." Thank you. <laughs> Also, a, a, a reminder about how some of the media is responding to all this, and this is more of a general thing, but you know there's a, there's a headline in a Rick Gladstone New York Times article that was posted yesterday by the Times that reads, Historical Certainty Proves Elusive at Jerusalem's Holiest Place. Yes, I saw that. And, uh, and the answer is that they found oil shale, a very big deposit in the Golan, so <laughs> we're creating other realities. Yeah, but that's the, true. You know, this attempt, and that's why I take so seriously what Abbas is doing about the claims on the Temple Mount, denying the Jewish, the Judeo-Christian ties, but certainly Jewish history, Jewish connection, is a deliberate campaign. It is to send a message to the world, and when the world is silent in the face of it, and they talk now about only the... the um, Hamel Shalrik, the, the, uh, dropping the term even Temple Mount, referring it to it as the, as the sacred place of the Muslims and holy to Jews as well. When, in fact, that is obviously, uh, uh the reverse situation. I, I can't dismiss those things when, when they occur. These are, are really important statements and they, they're trying to rewrite history. This is the revisionism taking place. When every shovel in the ground, everything I saw in Yerushalayim, at Ir David, the amazing 
discoveries which are not yet public, open to the public, the, the tunnels, every day new things that they are discovering. Yeah. I mean, these are so amazing. And, and they refute all of these attempts to deny the connection. And I apologize for rushing, but finally, uh, if this continues, and God forbid it should, if it continues, everyone has to think very carefully about trying to make a trip to Israel. You said it earlier. We must keep the corridor between the uh, diaspora and Israel active, especially during this time. Absolutely. It is more important. It is a time like this when... People, if you're planning a winter vacation, believe me, you get more out of it than going to Florida or going to other places. Don't, the security situation in 99% of the country, and I believe it will quiet down in, in, in areas that, that have seen some of the assaults. I believe that this is, from all the reports I get, diminishing. Um, but even if not, it's safe to visit Israel. People have to go. And, it, you know, you, you walk in the streets of New York and you can have something happen to you, too. Yeah. But the, the, you're absolutely right. The message it has to be to the people of Israel that were with them, the, to the victims of terror, to the families, to the people of, of, of uh, Israel. They look to us at a time like this just as we look to them all the time you know, our security and, and protecting Jewish interests. The Pasuk says, Netzach Yisrael lo yishaker, uh, the eternity of the... Jewish people will not lie. More liberally, I might add, on a day like today, the destiny of the Jewish people will not be altered, and we have to remember that. Uh, Malcolm will reconvene next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Uh, there he is, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update each Friday at 7.40 Eastern Time here at JMNAM. I remind you that the uh, weekly update is available in a podcast form. Uh, or in an archive form, even more accurately, um, within minutes of now, uh, go to the uh, archive section of the NSN app, weekly update section of the archive section of the NSN app, and you will find it there within minutes. And as the Prime Minister of Israel said, as the Prime Minister of Israel said, the days when the Jewish people remained passive in the face of genocidal enemies, those days are over. Want to remind everybody that Rabbi Yudin's brand new book, well, it's not brand new at this point, but believe you me, um, it is as exciting as a brand new book. Rabbi Yudin, a couple of years back, put out a book entitled Rabbi Benjamin Yudin on the Parsha. Tomorrow we have the privilege. Mosaic Oppressed, distributed by Feldheim, has every Parsha in the Torah in it. You could imagine, you know Rabbi Yudin from this program, you could imagine how incredible it is. And now, Parsha's Bracious, the perfect time to get it for your Shabbos table. So we are highly recommending that you have what we have, and I have it with a beautiful inscription. I, I'll never forget or thank or fin. I will never stop thanking him for the words he wrote in here. Uh, Rabbi Benjamin Yudin on the Parsha. Make sure to check it out and purchase it today. This time each and every Friday morning, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Shabbos, everybody. Wow. Tomorrow you have the privilege of reading Parshas Bereshis. We start all over again. We start with Bereshis Lokim, literally with creation. And this week's Parsha of Bereshis spans the first thousand years of creation. We learn so much about the nature of man. We learn that man resists change. Adam, the first man, is created. 
outside of Gan Eden. And when the Torah tells us in chapter 2, Vayikach, that Hashem takes the man and He places him in the Garden of Eden. So Rashi says, Vayikach lokho bidvarim. He had to persuade him because Adam, wherever he was created, didn't want to leave. After he sins, Adam doesn't want to leave Gan Eden. And so Vayagoresh Esa Adam. We see in chapter 3, unfortunately, that rather than confront and acknowledge and admit when man does something wrong, when he's asked about, did he eat from the forbidden fruit, rather than say, yes, I'm sorry, I was weak, whatever the reason, no. He passes the buck, and so too, in chapter 4, when Hashem asks Kayim, where is Hevel, your brother? God knows where Hevel is. God gives Kayim that opportunity to acknowledge the horrific act which he had done. And what is his response? Hashomer Ochi Onochi. Am I my brother's keeper? Man running away from his responsibility. I'd like to share with you an interesting insight into the very first phrase of the Torah, Bereshis Bara Elokim, and an insight of the late Rav Shimon, Shimshon Pinkis, Zechat Sadik Levracha, as found in the Sefer Tiferes Torah. The Gemara in Megillah, Davtes Amen Aleph 9a tells us that Ptolemy Hamelech, the Tamai, the king, gathered 72 scholars of the Jewish people. He put them each in a room and he didn't tell them why he had gathered them. And then he went to each one individually and said, Translate for me the Torah into Greek. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu literally endowed each of them with a specific, if you may, counsel, or God put, as the Gemara says, believe kol echod vi echod Each one thought and was directed to the same conclusion that they made several fascinating changes in their translation, which I suggest you take a look at the Gemara in Megillah. The first one, which is cited there, is that instead of translating the words Bereshis Bara'alukim in the beginning of God's creating, they translated it as if it were written Elokim Bara Bereshis, that God created in the beginning. And Rashi explains, had they translated the Torah literally, Bereshis Bara Elokim, they would have taken Bereshis in the beginning to be a proper noun. They would have taken it to be the name of 
a deity of a god, and therefore the book begins with the necessity of teaching that God is the creator. And therefore, for them, Elohim Borobereshis, and therefore it starts with God's name, that Bereshis, that they should not be confused and think that Bereshis as a power created God. Why in reality, asks Rav Pincus, do we not need that same idea? And he says that the Jewish people have what is known as emuna pshuta, which is not simply to be translated as simple faith, but rather as a perfect faith. Meaning, how do we know that God is the creator? Our minds, logic dictates that if there is a watch, there had to be a watchmaker. If there is a ball suspended from the ceiling, somebody had to create the ball and somebody had to literally hang it by the ceiling. And if there is that great ball in the sky called the sun, someone had to create it and suspend it. And that someone is God. Davra Melech says, and we recite this every Shabbos and Yom Tov in the Psuki de Zimra, Hashemayim Misaprim Kivod Kale. Literally, the heavens proclaim the honor of God. The universe, with its precision, cries out and says, Tov Yotzar. God created all this goodness, kavod lishmo. It is an honor for Him. All of nature reflects not only His brilliance, splendor, magnitude. In addition, how do we know there's a Creator? We know there's a Creator because in the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment says, keep the Shabbos. Why? Because in six days, God created heaven and earth, and He rested on the seventh. So the idea is very clearly that just as the Balhaturim, in his introduction to his commentary on the Torah, suggests several reasons, and I suggest that you look in the Balaturim, to see his different reasons why the Torah begins with a Bez and not with an Aleph, Rav Pincus suggests that the Torah begins with Bereshis and not Elohim Bara Bereshis because it is so self-evident, it's understood, it's a given that God created the world. In contrast, Interestingly, when it comes to Matan Torah, there the Torah says, Anochi, the Aleph, because there to expect that God would come and communicate to man, that God would come and communicate to an entire nation, 
this is something which is not exactly logical, and therefore I need the Torah to spell it out and to tell us that it was done in front of millions of individuals, and this was passed down from generation to generation. Bereshis bara elokim, God created, and what does that mean? The Ramban tells us at the beginning of his creation, his commentary on the opening pasuk of Bereshis bara elokim, says the Ramban. Why all these narratives? Why all these different, quote, Bible stories, which we know are so challenging and sophisticated? And he says that there's such an important theme built into the book of Beratius, and that is to teach us that built into nature is that the righteous will survive and endure, but that the world itself can not tolerate evil. And that's why, ultimately, Cain is destroyed, and only Noah survives, and the rest of the generation is destroyed. And there is the door Haflaga that we're going to read next week. The generation that is dispersed. And so we read about the, in Parshas Vayera, the destruction of Sodom and Amorah. And all this to remind us that built into nature itself is God's plan for history and God's involvement in the affairs of man. So, Bereshis Bara Elokim is not only telling us that there is a God who created this wonderful world, but as we find in the fifth book of the Torah, in chapter 4, Pasuk 39, the Pasuk reads, The Yodata Hayom, and you shall know this day. Now this is not only Moshe speaking to the Jewish people in his last oration prior to his passing, but rather each and every day. It's not enough to know, but we are literally to take to heart. What does that mean? The God is God. In the heaven and earth that he created, as we're going to read this coming Shabbos. Enod, there's none like him. The idea is very clearly that God is involved in our lives. And this is living this emuna. It's not enough to believe that God created the world, but rather the idea is his involvement in each of our lives. And so we should recognize and realize that each and every time we pray, if we're privileged to pray in shul with a minion, when we pray at home, a person should realize that there is a direct dialogue with God. We learn this from the beginning of chapter 2 of Beratius, that it didn't rain until man prayed 
for the rain. The capacity of man to have a personal relationship with God and that God listens to the prayers of man. All this is included in this week's parsha of Bereshis. And it's true that as a result of man being banished from Gan Eden, he now has to, quote, work in order to maintain himself. But this too is couched with a strong belief that Mizonosov Shel Adam Kitsuvin, the Yamin Norayim were so recently behind us, and we said at that time, Miye Osher, Miye Oni, how much money each and every one of us are going to earn this coming year has been already allocated. Bereshis Bara Elokim is all built in to nature, this personalized relationship that God has with each and every one of us. And don't think that you can beat the system. Don't think that God forbid if a person is going to act dishonestly in business, he's going to be able to earn more money. Not true. Ultimately, it will be taken away from him. And ultimately, he'll go for the reasons that he wouldn't want it to go in the first place. This is such a powerful idea. Bereshis bara Elokim. That God has put into nature the rules that give us that great opportunity to have each and every one of us that personal relationship with Him. And so we start the new year with the Parsha of Bereshis telling and reminding each and every one of us how important you are. That just as the first man was singular and unique in this world, so too no two individuals have the same fingerprints. No two individuals have the same heart rhythm. Each person is unique and most important. What you were put in this world for, nobody else was put here for. Wow! What a charge! What excitement! And therefore, I pray that all of us are going to take the lesson of the gracious Barat Elohim to heart and recognize the great potential that Hashem has given each and every one of us. Shabbat Shalom to all. J.M. and the A.M. Friday on this Arab Shabbos. My thanks to Rabbi Yudin again. And I, I mentioned that Rabbi Yudin has a book, Rabbi Benjamin Yudin on the Parsha. Tomorrow we have the privilege, which goes from Bracious to Vizos HaBracha. There's a perfect opportunity to Mosaic, a press, Feldheim uh, distribution, and a perfect opportunity to get it and to really enhance your Shabbos table with it. A uh, reminder from all of us here at JM in the AM. Uh, I want to remind everybody that uh, at 9 o'clock, it'll be Naomi Nachman with a brand new edition of Table for Two. The video is going to be up at NachumSiegel.com, so you can see the entire thing. And uh, as always, we uh, highly recommend that you tune in and stay tuned in.
uh, for her presentation today. Just want to bring up the, uh, here it is. Uh, Melissa Stein from JWE, the Jewish Women's Entrepreneurs, is going to be speaking with her about the upcoming conference. Saul Toplitsky from the Cold Brew Coffee Company, which he started. It's called Pour and Coffee. And Chris Russell from the Treat House in New York City, uh, which makes flavored Rice Krispie treats. And I want to give a special shout-out to Chris Russell and everybody at the Treat House in New York City. And if you look at our, uh, I, I believe it's up there. If it's not up there yet, it will be. If you look at the Nahum Siegel Network Facebook page, you'll see a picture of the NSN uh, Marshmallow Rice Krispie Treats that the Treat House made special for us. I'm looking at a photo that went into our internal page. I'm sure it's going to be up there in the next few minutes on the Nahum Siegel Network page if it's not there already. So a big shout-out to Chris Russell, the Treat House in New York City, for that. Before we get to Matis, and I thank him for standing by, as I said earlier in the week, it's been highly recommended uh, by two very prominent rabbis who I respect tremendously. Um, I was looking for something to uh, to do in the merit of my dear mother of blessed memory, who's uh, now gone for just uh, over two months. And they both recommended that the Sefer Avat Chesed, the book entitled Avat Chesed, literally the Love of Chesed, the love of loving kindness, or whatever translation you want to try to use for Chesed, uh, written by the Chavetz Chaim, would be an appropriate thing to study. And earlier this week, on both Wednesday and Thursday, I had the privilege of mentioning the um, Torah's obligation to lend someone money who's in need. And we discussed yesterday the fact that that applies to uh, items and utensils as well, not just to money. In the uh, fourth halacha here, uh, the Chavetz Chaim writes, what is the amount of money the Torah obligates a person, and this is being done, Lezecher Nishmas Esther Basar Yosef Halevi. What is the amount of money the Torah obligates a person to set aside to lend to his fellow? Uh, he writes, I did not find any explicit discussion in the words of the, of the rabbis that address this topic, and one may not learn this amount in the laws of tzedakah, where the maximum amount of tzedakah of charity one can give is one-fifth of one's possessions. There, in the case of charity, the money is given away permanently, which is not the case of a loan where the loan amount is returned. Also, in the contrary sense, in terms of the difference between a loan and charity, there's no basis to say that all of a person's money, which is idle at a moment, is required by the Torah to be distributed to charitable causes, since there might come a time when a profitable business opportunity presents itself to him or her, and he or she won't have that money available to transact that deal. Logic dictates that this mitzvah of lending is unique to each person depending on his means and however much he's able to do to benefit his fellow he should do. Uh, with Hashem's help, I found the Sefer Achinuch, where he writes the same thing regarding this, and you could see it there uh, in the second part of this Sefer. So that is the most recent halacha, most recent law of um, chesed that we are studying here at JM in the AM. Ilunishmas, my dear mother, Esther Basr Yosef Halevi. And I believe, if I have the information correct, today's Tefillah B'Tzibor at Mayanot Yeshiva High School for Girls which I believe is the first time in a while that has happened, uh, is dedicated as well to my mother's memory, and I thank everybody at Maya Note for that special designation. Matis Weingast, who in addition to being one of the world's nicest people and one of the gems of JM and the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network, hosts a show called JM Sunday every single Sunday with great enthusiasm and tremendous commitment. And this Sunday, Matis again returns to his roots, and I joke about that, <laughs> because every time he has anything 
that he's doing when it comes to sa- for some reason Matis is enthralled with sa- I don't know if Karen knows this or not that Matis is enthralled with South Africa Matis Weingast welcome back to JM in the AM Travis, to you. It's amazing how in the last, uh, in, in the space of one hour, span of one hour, I get the world view about Israel and, and politics, get the Torah view of uh, the um, of the Parsha and uh, Halacha and Chesed. You're forgetting the most important part. You also get a big statement that you're one of the nicest guys in the world. And I was about to say that I think it would be a Chesed for you to stop saying that. <laughs> Does Karen know that uh, when retirement shows up, you're heading to the southern part of the African continent? <laughs> We've actually talked about it. I think it would be very exciting to go. I I know someone who recently went to South Africa. Uh, and what's the, funny uh, about all this, what's funny about all this, unless I have it wrong, I know with yeah. cruises it's different, yeah. but what's funny about it is Matis does not love to travel. It's not like he's, you know, he likes <laughs> no. he likes the cruises, but if you said to Matis, let's go spend a week in Europe, I don't know if he's doing it, frankly. Okay, let me be specific, and then we can get on to more important topics. <laughs> uh, I don't like having to travel to get to somewhere. Oh. I, that's why I hate even going into... New York City from New Jersey be, during rush hour or right. traffic. I hate traffic. I hate that aspect of it. If I could be transported someplace, not a problem. Oh, I got you. Okay. So now, all right. But it's worth the trip, I guess, with South Africa. All right. Uh, in all seriousness, um, Rabbi Goldstein has made quite an international name for himself. You are going to speak with him live. It's going to be a live conversation on Sunday morning, yes, right? live conversation with the chief rabbi of South Africa, Rabbi Warren Goldstein. Uh, he's been on before on the show, and he's graciously agreed to join us again this Sunday morning to talk about the Shabbos project. Uh, I don't have my notes in front of me, so I apologize. I don't know which year this is uh, this Shabbos project this is. I think it's a. Uh, I want to say the third or fourth. Yeah, but but in terms of an international sensation, we'd have to agree it's the second, right? That Absolutely, is, yeah. it has grown tremendously, and I want to particularly ask uh, Rabbi Goldstein uh, about the reactions of people coming after the high holidays around the world, when many Jews who don't necessarily go to synagogue on a regular Shabbos um, did go Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Right. And how it is having this type of Shabbos environment so soon after that, and yet attracting so many people. You know, those people who don't go that often might say, I, I was just in the synagogue for three days. <laughs> I was just there. <laughs> I don't want to go again. But yet, it's obvious that... Uh, it, this is made into something that is attracting people by the tens of thousands, people who are not as committed to Sabbath observance, and they are flocking to this, and it's amazing how it grows year to year. You know, it's funny, Miriam Wallach and I were discussing this during a live lunch yesterday at the same time we were discussing your fascination with South Africa, and, and, and we were asking, and it's always an interesting question, if it's going to be bigger than last year, or last year sort of, you know, was the height of its... You know, of the, of the frenzy about it. Are, are you getting any indication at all? I mean, I'm sure there's something you could ask him. Are you getting any indication at all about the Shabbos project this year in terms of dwarfing last year's accomplishment? Uh, I don't have the sense of that. And it, yes, absolutely will be something I will ask him. Uh, however, looking at the results of last year, which was in great, greater than the expectation they had going in, Right, uh, I would say that uh, it, the expectation is for even greater numbers this year. And actually, I, I won't say it's true that I don't know, because I have seen uh, different events popping up that I did not see. Right, like. a, a lot of pre-Shabbos stuff, yes, right? Yeah. many, many more Thursday night challah bakings for women, where right. you have upwards of a 1,000 women gathering in one spot to bake challahs right. for the Shabbos project. 
Yeah, it's amazing. That's true. That's true. All right. Uh, it's this Sunday. We have a we have a hard time on the on the conversation for Sunday. <laughs> I don't want to say because he is so busy. I know. I, I, I'm hoping we can hit the 8:15 mark. Last time I remember, he had to bounce things around a bit, so that's why I'm saying he did. And I was able to get him on the first time uh, was un- was right after the passing of Nelson Mandela. Right. So I could barely speak to him for a minute. You know, he is the chief rabbi, and it's a daunting task, and he has a tremendous job there. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm grateful that he's able to join us. So we're looking at 8.15. All right. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thank you again. And uh, and uh, get ready next week. Uh, Big Rosh Chodesh, two days. We'll be laning four days in a row next That's week, That's right. It's one of the calendaric uh, quirks. <laughs> one of the calendaric quirks. We were looking for the first cal- By the way, you know what someone said to me, and I have to ask Rabbi Heber if this is true, because why on earth will I sit and calculate it? <laughs> right. although, although knowing you, by 9 o'clock, you will have calculated already. Someone said to me, this year, 5776 mm-hmm. is the most number of days there can be in a Jewish year between the two Adars and all the full Rosh Chodeshes. You'll check that out, right? <laughs> Knowing you. The most number of days. Most number of days that could be in a Jewish year. It's the largest number of days that could be in a Jewish year. Oh, you have the leap month, right? The leap um, month plus, I think, every Rosh Chodesh. Every Rosh Chodesh, it could be two days. Right, that could days. be two days is two days, right? Ah, so that adds the extra day from the previous month. Right, so if you could uh, check this out, please, I'd appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> defer to Mark on that. He probably, he's probably done already. I'm it's telling you, there's no reason to go to Mark. I think Rabbi Heber probably has the whole thing covered. No, Rabbi right? Heber, yes, but if you're asking me to do it, it's 4 9 <laughs> o'clock. I'll defer to Mark. <laughs> there you go. All right. Good luck Sunday. Matis, Warren Goldstein, Chief Rabbi of South Africa, Sunday, 815, part of JM Sunday, which is on between 7 and 9. Candle lighting at 6.05 on this Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Bracious. Hard to believe it's been such a short week and yet such a, a comprehensive week for us here at JM and AM. I want to thank Daniel Luria, who joined us from the old city of Jerusalem earlier. Um, Malcolm Honline was with us for the weekly update. The weekly update is in the app now on the NSN app in the archive section of the weekly update, and it's also on NahumSiegel.com, so you can check it out immediately uh, if you missed any of the conversation this morning. Also, Naomi, the video of Naomi's show for today is going to be up on NahumSiegel.com within minutes, so you can see Naomi and the entire production of the brand-new Table for Two. That comes up next. Kedem presents an amazing Erev Shabbos music mix that happens starting at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time all the way until candle lighting. I'm telling you, we got you covered. Keep it with the NSN app and jmnam.org all day long. You'll be very, very happy you did. Monday morning here at JM in the AM. We'll start things at 6 a.m. Make sure you make us part of your morning every single morning at JM in the AM. Time to take a Shabbos. Journeys. Again, candle lighting at 6.05 on this Erev Shabbos Parsha's Bracious. Time to wrap up a short but amazing week here at JM the AM. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup 
that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very special sign. Your candles will be burning, they'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos, well into the night. So throw away your hammer, there's nothing left to do. Sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmn.org, and of course on the NSN app. And you could use the uh, app, uh, the website where the video is up, uh, whatever you want, to tune in right now to Naomi Nachman. She's up next with a brand new edition of Table for Two. Which is always a big hit. And then the uh, incredible Arab Shabbos music mix, courtesy of our friends at Kedem, all the way until candlelighting time. Tomorrow night, of Rummy host Saturday Night Siegel. Uh, Rabbi Jacobson with Eternal Flame. You have um, headlines with uh, Rabbi David Lichtenstein. And um, Matis with JM Sunday with Rabbi Goldstein from South Africa Sunday morning. Tune in and enjoy all of our great weekend programming. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Until Monday morning, 6 a.m., Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.